Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off tonight with the major sell-off on Wall Street. The Dow down more than 700 points at the lows of the day. The Dow and S&P 500 having their worst day since January 3rd, and the NASDAQ getting hit the worst, down 3%, its worst day of the year. This is the trade war between the U.S. and China seems to be reaching a fever pitch. Eamon Javers is outside the White House with more on that story. Eamon, what's the latest? Yeah, Melissa, the president talked earlier today to some reporters in the Oval Office seeking to project some confidence. Even as we saw that uh, market turmoil on Wall Street, the president suggesting that he liked the position the United States is in in this trade battle with the Chinese, saying that ultimately the United States can put more tariffs on China than China can put on the United States. He also floated a proposal, which he talked a little bit about last week, to protect American farmers by taking some of that tax money, in effect, the tariff money that's coming from importers and redistributing it to farmers. Here's what he said. Out of the billions of dollars that we're taking in, a small portion of that will be going to our farmers because China will be retaliating probably to a certain extent against our farmers. We're going to take the highest year, the biggest purchase that China has ever made with our farmers, which is about $15 billion, and do something reciprocal to our farmers so our farmers can do well. So the president there suggesting he'd like to have some economic and perhaps political protection for farmers ahead of that 2020 election cycle in which the rural areas are expected to be some of the key battlegrounds for the president in terms of maintaining his political base. So that is something to watch. The White House not offering any details on exactly what the president has in mind here, simply referring folks to the Department of Agriculture, which hasn't responded to our questions yet. So uh, that's one question. Where does this go in terms of protecting farmers here in the United States? The other question is, what other action could the Chinese take? The the Treasury Secretary today expressing some confidence uh, that the Chinese will not stop buying uh, American treasuries. There's the possibility, of course, that they could uh, seek to interfere in the Treasury market or seek to stop participating in the Treasury market. Uh, Other possibilities include uh, making it more difficult for American businesses to get licenses in China and a host of other ways to slow down American companies that are doing business in China. Uh, No indication that the Chinese are doing any of that yet. Uh, But as the U.S. side says, when the Chinese run out of the ability to put new tariffs in place, uh, they may start looking for some of those other venues with which to uh, continue to wage a trade war. Melissa? But right now, Eamon, in terms of when the the new tariffs go into effect, whether it be on the U.S. side or the Chinese side, it does seem that both sides are allowing for some buffer time for talks to actually move forward. So if you wanted to look at this glass half full, you could look at it that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's clear that they put an exemption in on Friday for exactly that reason. That was the goods in transit exemption that allowed 
anything that was already on a boat, uh, or I guess an airplane, although that's a shorter, <laughs> shorter trip, but anything that was already on a boat coming to the United States uh, would not face the tariff. So that means there's about 20 days, we're told, of wiggle room here before prices start to really be impacted here on the U.S. side. So that gives a little bit of extra time for some negotiating. And the president said he's going to sit down with Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin separately uh, at the G20 in Osaka. That's at the end of June. So uh, we do see another face-to-face -face set piece between the two leaders coming up in just over a month's time. Yeah, and he said those talks could be fruitful. Eamon, thank you. You bet. Eamon Javers at the White House. And let's take a look at where we stand right now. The S&P 500 now 5% off the highs. The Dow and NASDAQ about 6% off highs. And Russell 2000 back in correction territory, down more than 12%. So is the trade war really to blame for all of the selling, or was the market primed for this pullback guy? Yeah, I'd say the latter. I think the market was primed for this pullback. With that said, I thought it's primed for this pullback probably for the last two and a half or three weeks, but here we are now. So a couple things. The technicians and Carter Braxtonworth is a tremendous one. You know, you have a huge potential for a double top in the S&P. In other words, traded up there over September 2940, traded all the way back down in December. We've we basically went right back and have failed. For technicians, that's a very bearish signal. I still think there's room to the downside. I think the VIX at 21 is still too cheap. And if you just do the math from the December 24th low to the recent high, a 50% correction which is normal, gets you to about 26.50 in the S&P, which in my world is about another 5.5% to the downside. So this was an excuse to sell. I, I believe it's an Listen, I didn't think, I guess I'll say this again, I don't think the Chinese are at all incentivized to do a deal with us. I think we're getting strung out. I think we'll continue to get strung out for the rest of the summer. If it forces us to make a deal, mm -hmm. the deal, and I think Dan would agree with this, I don't think it's going to be an advantageous deal for us if it's done to save the stock market. Well, the markets were clearly overbought coming in here. And, and you, know, you talked about the volatility index without getting too kind of wonky on volatility. Uh, what we do talk about on certain days is actually when the VIX is responding or when it's not responding. Seeing the VIX at 21, uh, when you look at most of these indices at oversold levels we haven't seen since December 24th. And again, measured by a relative strength indicator, which measures how oversold we were. Look at, or we are. Look at the triple Qs. Look at the NASDAQ. Essentially, we're at the lowest nine-day RSI, 23, since the 24th of December. You can pick every major indice. And then you can also look at the yuan, which, you know, if you want to look at the Chinese currency and get really scared, um, we're essentially near all, we're within six pips, of, which is in currency speak, the same thing essentially as BIPs, but we're, we're basically very, very close to all-time lows against the dollar. And, and that was set, you know, a couple times in the last couple of years. So look at yields. Um, you had a market that I think, um, see, this is what's interesting, because bears can say now, hey, look, we told you this was coming, except for people were not talking about the trade wars a catalyst. They were talking about earnings. They were talking about the economy. And, and now I think you have a bunch of CEOs out there that have no need to go and do a lot of CapEx. Well, I think what's really interesting, so we had a very complacent market. Obviously, we were just grinding up, and I think there was a lot of investors who were just kind of discounting the potential for um, all this stuff to kind of come together, the sort of thing that we've been talking about. There was a lot of faith that a deal was going to happen because there was a lot of lip service for it. The fact that it hasn't happened, I do agree with Guy, that if we were to get a deal to save the stock market before the G20 in late June, it's not going to be the sort of deal that I think the president is going to feel great about on the campaign trail in 2020. So it's the sort of deal that might get sold, meaning the, the market 
participants might sell it. And here's another thing. I said, there's so much time spent, and I don't know. I heard uh, Jim Cramer saying this morning that the president's people, they're looking at the Dow Jones Industrial Average. They're really focused on that. They're focused on the stock market. I really think if you're looking at who's winning or losing the trade war, and it is a trade war now, make no mistake about it, okay? Um, if you're looking at it through the lens of the stock market, you're doing it wrong. Apple lost $50 billion today in market cap. That was equivalent to what the Shanghai Composite lost last night, okay, in that session, down 1%, if you're just doing some simple math. So if that's the way they're looking at it, then we have much greater potential to suffer in stock market terms. I just don't think that's the lens you should be looking at it through. So, I mean, you asked the question at the top of the show, is it trade or is it uh, just time just to sell time off? To sell off. I think rich. a little bit of both. Uh-huh. I mean, also, I think we did have that one transitory word, right? That seemed to to have people a little bit nervous about the Fed. I really do still think the Fed is absolutely gone, that we're not going to see anything but something something dovish from them. But uh, so I, I think it is trade. I think the other thing, I mean, for me, I like earnings. I like fundamentals. We are 90% of the way through earnings season. So unfortunately, I, I like that, having earnings. We don't have that anymore. It's something tangible to see how companies are doing. And so now we just are sort of floating around waiting for some sort of big macro event. Clearly, this is a giant one, right? But Karen, does it make you nervous? You just mentioned earnings. You know, on April nervous. 25th, Intel guided down. They specifically mentioned China. China. And what did they do last yep. week when they had an analyst meeting in San Francisco? They guided down, down again. again. So I'm really nervous that you're going to start seeing pre-announcements as we get into, at some point, we have Cisco on Wednesday night. Don't well, think that their guidance is going to be one of the most important things that comes out this week. The well, other, the other thing ahead. is that we're going to get retail earnings. Yeah. And that should be an interesting tell on how uh, companies are feeling the tariffs. Because if there's right. any sector that's going to feel the tariffs, it's definitely going to be retailers. I mean, how much inventory could they have pulled forward to avoid the tariffs, which well, they have things. done? How much could they have pulled forward? How much could they have also begun to source from elsewhere, True. right? Yeah. That has been in the works for a while. So I know if I look at some, I own Target, but I look at Target, China is actually Target's biggest source. So that's going to be a problem. They also are going to have to try to gauge, all right, how much can we pass through? Can we pass through all? Or when do we start passing through? That's going to be a little bit difficult. However, the valuations on retail stocks have come in a lot. And I do still think the consumer's in pretty good shape. The consumer is employed, right? I, I, I think that those earnings could be, it's a lower bar now. Mm-hmm. I, I think sentiment for our market, Dan has touched on this. I would just say a little bit differently. At this point, we're still dealing with a trade war. Um, the market's reaction, and, and you know, when, I, when I hear, um, let's, let's reimburse farmers based upon some, some metric from, the, I mean, let's get John Cougar Mellicamp and do Farm Aid again, too. I mean, it's, we're, we're getting into a place where we've negotiated off of um, a basis that, look, everything we're trying to do with the Chinese makes a lot of sense. Tariffs make no sense. Um, so we're getting to a place where you're already dug into a negotiation stance that's going to get worse and worse. And we talk about it all the time on the show as well. Can the Chinese wait this thing out? And if you read the press in China from the state newspaper, um, they're waiting for $300 billion to, to hit so that they can actually have a case where the, as, as uh, Peter Bookfar wrote about this this morning, who we listened to a lot, you know, you, you'll have that first pivot where they can actually say, you know what, that's fine. At this point, let's go with the stalemate because this is really where we wanted to be and we can outweigh them. Yeah. So this is what you want to know. This is what people at home want to know at this point. If we all think that this is going to be a prolonged trade war, prolonged negotiation, do you dare invest in stocks like a Boeing, a Caterpillar, an Apple, any of these poster children of the trade war? Well, the, the answer, ones that have hit, been hit the most. Uh, the answer is yes. You just have to pick your spots. And we're going to have Tony Dwyer on and Carter, and we'll talk about the spots. But if you're asking me, should you be worried... To a certain extent, yes, because I think the rhetoric has been driven up now, and neither side wants to back down, which is fine. But worried is one thing. Panicked is another. I would say this. 
you're going to know that a bottom for the short term is in, and you're going to see it because we've seen it before on a day where the market flushes to the downside, has a bit of a recovery, and that volatility index that Tim spoke about, which should be up, is actually down. So if you see a day where the market plummets, comes back, and you see a lower volatility index, which you haven't seen yet, that's the day that in the short term, at least, I think we put in a bottom. Yeah, I'll just mention two names that you just talked about. I always thought that Apple was going to be the last battle fought in this trade war meeting because it's so important to both sides. They employ a million people to put together our iPhones mm-hmm. and, our, you know, and obviously our Macs and that sort of thing. Um, so it's important to the Chinese, but it's also uh, obviously very important to us. It's one of the largest market cap companies in the world with $250 billion in revenues. And then the other one is Boeing. I mean, this was one that, you know, it shockingly was starting to be talked about in early 2018. With this, and then it just kind of went by the wayside and it just kept on going up every other day until they had their main issues. But it was very interesting that the state newspaper today specifically cited Boeing. And that's yeah. one that they yeah. know that they can uh, really delay major purchases. With Apple, it's a little different. I think if you were loving Apple at 200 when they printed uh, just a few weeks ago and you think that most of the China stuff that they started the year out have kind of been allayed, you're probably hitting an equilibrium somewhere in the 175 area, in my but opinion. The two things that are really interesting about Boeing and Apple is are these unintended consequences or the things like we Boeing safety issues um, really, you know, they didn't need them in the context of everyone pushing Boeing around anyway, just as a trade war stock and that stock. And now, obviously, China is, is absolutely competing with Airbus and Boeing. And, and guess who else um, the Chinese are competing with? They're competing with Apple. And guess what else is going on? Huawei. I mean, we've got major issues with this country um, based upon how we are looking to extradite essentially the daughter of Steve Jobs equivalent. So, I mean, think about all this, and and these are not part of the trade war plot, yet now they're even thrown on top of that. All right, we've got full team coverage of this chaotic market day. Carter Worth is ready to break it down with the charts. We've got Canaccord's Tony Dwyer waiting in the wings as well. Let's get first to Carter and the charts. Carter. So lots of things to look at, of course, and lots going on, but um, first... It really, when, when things are in chaos, correlations often go to one. And just to make that point, um, not only today, but of course over the past year, look at the relationship between the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. In fact, it's a correlation of about 95%. What we do know, of course, is that one has more beta. So the NASDAQ overshoots, the NASDAQ undershoots, the NASDAQ overshoots. But the trajectory, of course, is the same. The straight down, the straight up, and what Guy's talking about, of course, is the prospect of an important double top back to a difficult level. Let's look at a few things. Gapping. It's very rare to gap, uh, meaning an index has got so much news overnight, a tweet or a war or could be anything, uh, swine flu, that it gaps down or gaps up. There have been a total of 79 times the past two years when the S&P has gapped up or gapped down. There are only three unfilled gaps, and they are all below. So let's look at those levels, and it's a good reference point. Uh, March 12th gap is still in play at 2784. Uh, March 11th, 2744, and of course down at February 12th, 2718. From the peak of 2954, to the, were, were we to fill that final gap, we would have a sell-off of about 8%. We know we're down to five now, so really just shows that's not a whole lot. That would just be the beginning, and then you could get the levels, as Guy suggested, 2650 for a 50% retracement. In any event, here are those levels. What we know is that the odds, again, there were lines all along through here. All of these gaps, they've all been filled. These are the only three unremaining gaps that are filled. And by all accounts, I think we're going to swing down and catch those. Take a look at the same thing on the NASDAQ. There are three unfilled gaps. Again, 
the betting is that we're going to come down and swing and catch those. And ultimately, that would be a peak to profit decline of a minimum of about 8%. And I think um, that's an important thing. Now, Apple. What do we know about Apple? It peaked the same time the market peaked in September. It bottomed the same time the market bottomed. Christmas. But what it could not do, of course, is it could never make it back to its high. So sort of feeble. It also dropped 40% from peak to trough, twice as much as the market. And not only could it not make it back to its high, it is a fairly textbook break-in trend. Not good. Gap today, speaking of gaps, you can see it right there. Uh, Apple is a place I would not want to be. All right, Carter, thank you for the charts. Uh, we'll see you a bit later on in the show. And as I mentioned, Tony Dwyer of Canaccord is with us as well. Um, market insanity is an opportunity. That's a hard one to put in place from the Dow's down 700. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, the popular definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That's not insanity. That actually has hope in it, right? It's doing the same thing over and over again, knowing the exact result you're going to get and doing it anyway. Trying to predict what the market's going to do off of unpredictability with tweets and trade is insane. Like you had a, a, a bounce back that was extraordinary on Friday. And now we had a tank that was extraordinary today. It just makes no sense to me. I think this is, I think Karen really hit it with the Fed comment about transitory inflation. I think the Fed, that was almost like a reversal of the dovish pivot, where even though the two-year and five-year, the Fed has never been right once in predicting a recession. The two- and five-year Treasury yield is below the Fed funds range. That's it's screaming at the Fed that they need to cut rates. Regardless of what Donald Trump is saying, President Trump is saying, it doesn't matter to me. I go with data. And the data in the Treasury market is telling you they need to cut rates. And that's been our call, as you know, since January. This correction, it, last time I was on the show, we talked about a 3 to 5% correction. I'm not going to be the guy that tells the people on air, I expect a 3 to 5% correction. You get 5% and all of a sudden now it's 7 to 10 right? What is the difference between a 5% correction and a 15% correction is interest rates. Last December, we had 15 to 20% because the Fed was raising rates and you were at 3% on the 10-year. Earlier in March, when we had a, a minor correction, and, and today, rates are going down and the Fed is likely to have an even further dovish pivot. I understand that you don't want to predict what's going to happen in the trade war because that's obviously a losing game for, for anybody, even Karnak. But, uh, you know, when it comes to trying to, to game out the risks in the market, would you say that now, today versus, you know, last week, the risks seem higher oh, versus for sure. a week ago? For and sure, so but I think that's an excuse for the market. I'm sorry. So that's an excuse for the market. You want yeah. to say, therefore, the market volatility will continue throughout this period or that there's more risk to the downside here i mean no are, i think i think the on the, if you look at, at the 10 week or 10 day rate of change on the vix similar to timmy's rsi comment you've already seen an extraordinary move the 10 day rate of change on the vix is up to i think 60 closed over 60 today when you get that high it doesn't spike again and if it does it's very very temporary so i just i, I think a lot of the fear is is kind of in the tape on this move because of the direction of interest rates but let me also throw this one by you Offsetting to some degree, I, I wish I had the intelligence to know what the trade situation was. I don't have the intelligence or the resources. Not sure I do, intelligence is what gets you there. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I do know. A lot of people are refinancing their debt because you got the 100 basis point drop in interest rates. I know a lot of millennials that are able to now buy that starter house and mortgage activity is picking up pretty big because rates have come down. 
there is an offset to the trade war. By and that's way, a good a thing. But, but there's economy. also probably concern, particularly among some small caps, that even though rates are low, that they've got a lot of debt. And, and there is concern that a slowing economy will impair their ability to pay the leverage that they already have, even if it's at lower rates. Oh, for sure. So it's, there's, you know, it's, it's a push-pull it's, but situation. But that's the point. There's mixed all the time. Like there's, think of the governor on an engine. The governor on an engine, in case you're not aware of it, it makes it, it gives it extra power or less power. You know, Dan from Camillus, you know, up from where I'm from in, in real upstate Fayetteville, New York. brother. Fayetteville, okay, house closed, Marcellus. Anyway, the bottom line is when you, you can turn down an, ever, an engine by changing the amount of fuel that's going into it. It's a governor of an engine. The amount of debt is not good. You cannot fix debt with exponentially more debt. It's the governor of the engine. If you go up to 3%, it slows the engine down. Sure. If you go down to 2%, it picks the engine up. We're in this kind of weirdo twilight zone of economic activity because the amount of debt. And every time we get to 25 it's going to tank. And every time we get to 3%, it's going to rip. You look for a correction when everybody's on the wrong side of the boat. They were April 30th. Okay. Now everybody's getting on the right side of the boat. Tony, thank you. Tony thank Blyer, you, Canaccord Genuity. What do you think of Tony's? Yeah, Tony's an Iroc Z too, right? No, I didn't. Avengers. With the louvers in the back, I didn't have the that, louvers. but I knew people that did. Right. Tim, I thought with, you did. with the, the Tony, ha if you've listened to Tony, he's been spot on, and and I'm not going to disagree with him here. But I will say this: we talked about the, the the unintended consequences of these tariffs or cost of goods in this country. At some point, will go up, which means inflation, almost by definition, should go up. And if the Fed's mandate is inflation, what's something they've been saying for a long time. They're going to find themselves, you think they're in a bad position now, think about three months from now if this thing continues to drone on and price of goods goes up and inflation starts to tick higher, then what are they going to do? So they've painted themselves into an extraordinarily difficult corner, in my opinion, so I think the pain trade is still lower. Coming up, we will have more on today's big sell-off, and the traders will tell you where they are finding the best opportunities right now in the market. Check out shares of Uber getting crushed again today, down nearly 20% from its IPO price. What went wrong and how bad could it get for the stock? We'll explain. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Uber crashing in its second day of trading. The stock is now down a whopping 18% from its IPO price. Leslie Pickers back at headquarters with more on the tech unicorn's rough start. Looking like a tech donkey, though, Leslie. <laughs> a tech donkey, that's a good term for it. Uh, Uber has already shaved about $13 billion off its market cap. Just two days of trading. The valuation now at $62 billion, half the $120 billion level that it had been projected to go public at. That level is also what many of the executives need to obtain in order to receive their full compensation benefits. So what went wrong here? Well, for one, the stock was mispriced relative to what the market expectations were. Even though bankers had been tempering the valuation for months leading up to the deal, the $45 per share value that Uber priced its IPO at was still far higher than many investors were willing to pay. That's especially true against a turbulent market backdrop and continued trouble for its ride-sharing rival Lyft. And when things 
did turn south for the stock, Uber's lead underwriter Morgan Stanley wasn't able to adequately stabilize it. The volumes were extremely high in the first two days, which can limit the firepower for stabilizing, even if they attempted it at all. Now, I'm told that Uber allocated about 15 percent of the offering to retail investors. That's slightly higher than other recent tech deals. Underwriters actually try to minimize retail allocation as much as possible as they tend to be a bit more fickle than their institutional counterparts and sell into decline. So usually if retail gets a higher allocation, it can signal that there's less demand from institutions. So the question now becomes whether Uber's IPO scuttles other deals in the pipeline or whether the unicorns in the wings are taking notes not to repeat some of the recent mistakes. Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker in the newsroom. It seems like there's a tale of haves and have-nots when it comes to IPOs uh, recently. There's the likes of the Zooms of the world and the pager duties, and then there's like the lifts. Don't forget Beyond Meat. At, at beyond but, me and the winning, today. The winning but I, I think size is what we're getting at. Yes, I mean, yes. this was such a massive deal. And it's really interesting. I know that Uber CEO um, sent a letter to employees today, and I think he actually mentioned something like, hey, you got to remember, look at how Facebook did when it came out in 2012. And one of the things I think is really interesting, a lot of people are comparing this to Facebook, but when Facebook went public in 2012, it was profitable on a gap basis. It was growing its sales at 55% year over year and was guiding to accelerate that. And, you know, when you think about Uber, it's going to be losing three to four billion dollars for three years. They um, are their their revenue growth is decelerating. It's just really, really different. I don't think that's a great comparison right now. And obviously, Facebook has done amazingly well, and a lot of people got that one wrong back then. I, I completely agree on that. I think the, those metrics are totally different. In addition, you didn't have Facebook Lite coming out three weeks before Facebook. Right. And offering pretty much the exact same thing. So I I don't view those as similar. So I I think Uber, I don't even see why you'd buy it here even. Right. Okay, just because it happens to be down a lot. It doesn't mean the metrics are really good here. Went from being wildly valued to to undervalued here. I still don't get it. I mean, it's some, you know, David Einhorn likes to say things that traded silly can trade at three times silly. Think they were trying to price it at three times silly. It could come into one time silly. I don't know. I just don't see you need to chase it, even though it's down a lot here. Could it could it rally a little off your know, dead cat bounce? Sure. But that doesn't mean I think it's a great value here. Is this the underwriter's fault? Well, Is it Morgan Stanley's fault. So, uh, you know, certainly there's some criticism here. You could look at Alibaba, too, though. You know, Alibaba also did not do well out of the gates and, and was hyped to the moon. And, and Dan's pointed out the size. I, I think that's the biggest thing. I, I, I will go back to who needed to own Uber that didn't already own it. Everyone was trying to sell Uber. Okay, every major institution in the world had owned Uber for years. Every retail guy had owned Uber for years. So meanwhile, you build the book. You say, hey, we're we're kicking out hedge funds. We're going to just try to go with a big institutional base. Bottom line here is th- they didn't have that, and I think that's 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 critical. All right. For more on what the Uber CEO is saying about the company's rocky IPO, head on over to CNBC.com. Still ahead, the Dow dropping more than a thousand points in the last week as trade tensions heat up. But there's a number of stocks of traders are buying right now. They will tell you the names. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Much more after this quick break. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. 
Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some breaking news on the trade deal. Let's head back to Eamon Javers in Washington for the details. Eamon. Hi, Melissa. A new filing from the U.S. Trade Representative's Office just within the past 15 minutes. This filing uh, setting forward the process now for a potential round of new tariffs on that additional $300-plus billion in Chinese goods. The president has said, uh, as recently as today, he's not sure if he's going to move forward with this or not, but the new filing from the USTR in the past couple of minutes ticks forward the process that will allow him to impose those tariffs if he so chooses. What the USTR is saying is they're going to hold a public hearing on June 17th on this next round of tariffs. And then they say that their post-hearing rebuttal comments will be due on June 24th. So that means that the next round of tariffs that the president decides to go forward uh, can't happen before June 24th. So that gives you a sense of the timing here, uh, pushing it back into late next month uh, before the president could impose that next round of tariffs. But again, he said today he hasn't made that decision yet. This is just the USTR ticking forward the process that will allow him to do it if he wants to. So the 24th is the earliest uh, date on which June. new tariffs could be put in place. And that's that's, that's, that's sort of nice leverage going to the G20 meeting for sure President is. Trump. You notice the timing there, right? G20 is what, the June, June 28th, I believe, off the top of my head. So that yep. gives him a uh, couple of days there to uh, come out maybe with an announcement saying we're not going to go forward with these tariffs and with, talks are going really well. Or we're not going to go forward with these tariffs as we wait to see uh, what happens with Xi Jinping. It gives him a lot of negotiating flexibility going into G20. Uh, but we'll see if he decides uh, to say anything about that between now and then, because this is a, a fast-moving ball around here in yeah. Washington. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers. Uh, trade fear slamming stocks today. The Dow sinking more than 700 points at the lows of the session, down more than 1,000 points in the past week. So even though things could get worse before they get better, what can you buy now? And I know we ask that a lot, but I think people at home are wondering, you know, what, what kind of levels are you looking at? What, what are you willing to buy? Where do you see value in the market, Karen? Well, Google, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's had a terrible few weeks. Much of that self-inflicted, and then the rest of it, the, the macros. But, I, I mean, I still think that's an extraordinary business. And people were disappointed with the revenue growth. The revenue growth was still extraordinary, right? If you were to back out the cash, which I, every time I say do something with your cash pile, it's ridiculous. Um, I, I think it's growth at a very reasonable price. We've talked about United Health for a long time. Look at that stock today. It had every opportunity to get bludgeoned, and it was didn't. Down about half a percent. Still at levels. Basically, went from 218 to 240, and we're right there now. So, you know, I think the bullseye that's been on the back of these stocks is going to be off for quite some time, and I think the cream will rise to the top. So, if you're looking for an opportunity, I think UNH is as good as it gets. Yeah. So, I have a pretty simple way of doing this. I don't like to be too early when you're trying to buy a dip like this. I want to avoid like a Google. You said is a self-inflicted thing that may take a quarter or so to work its wealth out. Look at two names that reported in the last month or so that had stellar numbers in the stocks gap. Look at Microsoft and look at Disney. And I look to the breakout levels where they just were. In Microsoft, that would be at 115 and at Disney, it'd be 120. And if you get weakness in the next week or two or whatever over a period of time, that's where I want to kind of go into those. Apple has a level, um, you know, down at 170. I mean, you want to catch some of these breakouts. That's where they should have some prior support. 
Tim? So I, I, I would go to Apple. Um, and I would say because they are such an obvious trade war victim here, it's one of the reasons why you have to assume that people have shot first before actually asking the proper questions. What we know about Apple is they will, capital markets-wise, support you as a shareholder, no matter what, for the next three years. There's no, there's no turning back from that. And I do think services uh, revenue is meaningful. It doesn't need to be. But again, on a blended multiple at this point, Apple, uh, I did like it two weeks ago. I like it more now, even though I don't like these headlines. And then AT&T, because again, you get into a domestic story. Uh, we're at a place where we're not worried about a trade war victim. Lower rates for a company that's got an avalanche. Well, maybe it's not an avalanche. I don't think it will be an avalanche of debt. But that's the, that's the criticism here. And finally, it's a 7% dividend yield at the time when rates are going lower. Not the reason to buy it, but interesting. All right. Well, Carterworth says there's a number of high-paying stocks that could make for perfect hideout trades. He's back over at the Plasma to tell us what they are. Carter, what are you looking at? Sure. Just the Monday's report was about low beta stocks, typically 0.6 with high dividend yields. I've singled out two that aren't necessarily that, but I think that are quite good, and then an ETF. So, just think about the, the circumstance that is the general equity market. We know we have a top in the autumn, and we have this plunge. And we know that we had the reciprocal recovery. But what we also know is that the S&P, after getting back to this prior level, has backed away. And that is not the case, of course, with this. One of the most efficacious factors, if one were to look at all things, momentum, but relative strength is number one. A stock that can hold sideways like this and unchange in a period where equities are being murdered, that's very, very impressive. Costco is one that's reacting well to its high, and I think ultimately, even if equities get worse, it will hold up just better than most, or if equities bounce, it will indeed break out. Now consider that picture and look at the next, it's identical. This happens to be, well, salt and pepper, right? It's oregano, this is McCormick and Company. It's also defensive, Costco's uh, uh, for the most part, a grocery store. But it's the same circumstance, a peak with the market, a bottom with the market on Christmas Eve. And then, unlike the market, though, the market, of course, backs away. And this stock didn't do that, right? This stock holds tough at the high. Impressive relative strength. I think this is another one you want to be in. Now, a whole group. It's an obvious one. There's no real insight here, but the principles are the same. Utilities peaked in September. Have they come down? No. What utility has done is held their ground. They were up today. That's impressive. All these would suggest that in the event of general weakness, they hold up better, or if we bounce it, they in turn can break out. And then just to put it in context, what do we know the S&P did? It has its high, it has its low, and it gets right back to that former high, but instead of holding, the S&P has broken. Those other three, utilities, Costco, McCormick, did not break. That's a very important day-to-day data point. Carter, come on over. Sure, yeah. Yeah, Evan will bring the chair over, as he does. Look how graceful Evan is. You know, he's <laughs> a very talented Fantastic. page yeah. that we have in our hands. Thank well, you, Evan. <laughs> nice to see you, Carter. Thank you, guys. Um, is anybody buying any of what Carter's done? Quickly, here? Costco, I'll say it. Their April comps up five and a half percent. The street was <laughs> no, the street was the street was looking for four and a half percent. E-commerce comps up twenty-four percent. I mean, Costco is really firing on all cylinders. And it's interesting that Carter mentions this because typically say, look at that chart, it's a double top. But we've been at this two forty-five level now for quite some time. Should have gotten hit today. It did not. That's a very good sign. Good for CBW for pointing that out. I mean, that's that's the that was the hope. Not that I would point it out, but that if you're gonna be in a stock, if it hangs in well, 
it's like any other thing, an athlete or a political campaign or anything, any endeavor that stays firm when it otherwise shouldn't be, it's, it's an important tell. In retail, would the opposite be true? We were talking the other night about XRT, and when sure. you look at it, how bad it's acted. Now, obviously, you picked a standout in Costco, but the fact that it just gave up, it's down 20% now from its 52-week high. Do you want to press those sort of weak names? For sure. I mean, and those are, those are businesses, many of them just won't be around, whether it could be an urban outfitter or a GNC or... Fossil, these are businesses that ultimately, as we see often, just close up. But Costco has the defensive characteristics of low beta and its groceries, which are being seen in the chart. I wanted to ask you about some of the other so-called safety trades that look like they were breaking out today. Gold above 1300 for the first time since April 11th. We had the 10-year yield hitting its lowest since uh, March 28th. Do any of these charts look good to you? Well, see, that, that's just it. I mean, think about that message. If we just put that picture all together, even throw Bitcoin in there. I mean, sure. who, who knows what it is? But, I mean, it's acting well. Gold's acting well. The fact that we did, we hit uh, 239 today on the tenure. Yeah. What about this is constructive? And, and then there's this. If you, if you consider where we are relative to September, we're below where we were in September, so that's almost you know, 10 months with no progress, but with a lot of volatility. In fact, we're below where we were on January 26, 2018, the peak for global equities. And what does that say about the risk warfare? You load the boat. I mean, I think we're going to 2% in the 10-year, and then ultimately equities get a minimum can fill those gaps. Wow. Carter, thank you. Thanks. Carter Braxtonworth. We'll have much more in the markets throughout the hour. The Dow closing down by more than 600 points. CNBC's Jim Cramer will be here to tell us when we could see some relief from the selling. Next, plus Alibaba sinking nearly 10% just this month as the stock is front and center in the trade war. Some traders are betting it could see an even bigger move this week. We'll explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at Alibaba getting hammered in today's sell-off. The Chinese e-commerce giant front and center amid trade war tensions as it gears up to report earnings on Wednesday. Dan Nathan is here with the action. Dan? Yeah, so it's Wednesday before the opening. The options market is implying about a 5% move in either direction. And that's, uh, that is basically risk uh, rich to the 4% on average move the stock has moved over the last four quarters. Um, it's really interesting on a day like today when you see the stock down as much as it was, um, call activity is running really hot. It's three times out of puts. But interestingly, it looked like there was a lot of um, closing selling of calls. In May and June, the most active strikes were the May 180 and the June 190s. So those were possibly people who were set up for some sort of China trade deal in this period, owning calls or call spreads, and closing out of them with the stock now below those levels and with the earnings coming up. Um, you know, listen, this stock has traded pretty well this year. It's up 24% of the year. It's up 30% from its 52-week lows in December. When you look at that, though, it's right there on some pretty key support. That's the one-year chart. Um, pretty big air pocket back to those January lows. And if you look at it on a five-year basis, um, you know, that just kind of heightens what we, what we would say is that, you know, massive, massive support at that double bottom from late last year. Um, but they better put up some good numbers to keep it around here. Is this really a trade war stock? In I, that I don't think so. Caught up or, yeah. I mean, it's more domestic Chinese. I, no? I think it's domestic Chinese. In fact, what we want to hear on these numbers are, are Taobao and Tmall and, and the guidance that we're going to get on 2020. And they're probably going to give you north of 30 uh, percent GMV guidance, which I think is, is you know, certainly attractive to own this. You know, Karen talked about Google risk reward at the price. I, I think BABA um, at this peg ratio is very attractive. All right. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Trade tension sending stocks sinking today. The Dow and S&P falling 2%. Are there any signs that the selling could stop? 
CNBC's Jim Cramer will be here to weigh in. Plus, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, nope, it's just Bitcoin. The crypto surging nearly 15% today and breaking above 8,000. We'll tell you what is behind this move when Fast Money returns. That's not even Superman. Where's the bug? It's, it's Superman. Money. We've got a Kramer alert for you. Jim is joining us live from San Francisco. Jim, it's so great to have you on a day like today Ugh. with the markets in sell-off mode. Um, America wants to know one thing. How do you know when it's safe to buy again? Well, you know, Melissa, what I like to do is look at the companies that have no China exposure. I know that people want to go immediately toward the soft goods. I mean, they, you know, Campbell's was up today, Hershey. No, forget that. I think what you want to do is watch Fang, believe it or not. Watch Facebook, watch Amazon, watch Netflix, watch Alphabet, uh, which was Google, because they have no China exposure. And if they can hold, if they can actually just hold, I think buyers will come into this market. How are you feeling about a stock like Apple, though, Jim? And we've heard, for instance, Intel talk about China. The longer this goes, the longer into the current quarter these tensions can last. Are we worried about maybe another round, uh, you know, some uh, pre-announcements happening? Um, Look, I think that, fortunately, we just got through a lot of these earnings season. But, yeah, Apple is at the epicenter. And it's, you know, I always say uh, uh, don't trade it, own it. But I know that uh, Apple's decline today is not a good sign. Remember, they bought a lot of stock back at 167, average of $12 billion there in the previous quarter. But yes, Apple's going to be the hardest one to fathom because we keep thinking that the Chinese are going to do something against Apple, even though it is a giant employer. Uh, notice that Starbucks went down a little bit, Nike went down a little bit, but those are not really the same thing as Apple. And Apple has the power to be able to hurt so many different stocks, and they were all on display today. Jim, are you concerned that now both the United States and the Chinese will sort of dig in their heels? Both sides seem to be that they want both sides seem to want to save face. Could that prolong this these trade tensions? I think the tensions are going to go on for a long time because I think the president wants to give many companies the chance to be able to leave. Uh, one of the things, the problem with that, uh, leave China, is that as uh, Fred Smith, the CEO of FedEx, said to me, listen, a lot of these companies are just ingrained in China. It's not like you just like flick a switch and move. Even a lot of the retailers, a lot of the, of the companies that make things there as parts, they're trying to get out, but it's, it's just not that easy. So I think it is going to take a long time, but the president wants it to drag on because he wants companies to move out of China and do less business there. All right, Jim, we're going to let you go. I know you got a big, big show to prepare for tonight. Thank you so much, Jim Cramer. Always great Thank to see you, you. Thank you, guys. All right, don't miss a special Mad Money from San Francisco tonight with Workday CEO, Twitter CFO, and William Sonoma CEO. A lot there at the top of the hour and Mad Money to watch, so make sure you, you catch that. What do you think? Well, I, I think going to places where you have some predictability in EPS, and I think that's healthcare. Guy talked about United Healthcare, maybe even a J and J. I mean, I think you have companies that that can be very defensive here. Um, I, I would be a little bit more concerned about mega cap tech, but I I think a handful of these valuations are so defensive, and I agree that Google is one of them. In terms of going into companies that have very little exposure to China, one would think small caps. Well, we think small caps, caps, but you know what, the move into Russell, the IWM, which is the small cap ETF, if you look, it didn't make it nearly to the levels that it was over the summer. So while the S&P made a brand new high, the Russell didn't. Didn't even come close. Small caps are That's growth telling call. you something. Small cap, it's a growth call. Yeah. I think if you were worried about growth in this country or globally, small caps are going to underperform. That's your hedge. I like Bank of America. Uh, of the big money center banks, it is the most U.S. concentrated at under 10 times earnings here. Also an okay dividend, but as Tim said, that's not really the reason to buy it. I like it here. 
You know, Kramer's got his fang. What do I got? Maggot. I got maggot. Now, here's the thing. We already talked about Microsoft and Apple. We know they have a lot of exposure in, in China in the region. But don't think for a second, guys, that Google, who obviously is not in China, they get 90% of their sales from advertising, one of the most cyclical things in the world. If we have a growth slowdown because of this trade war, companies like that will be affected. And then the A, the, le- the, the second A in MAGA, Mel, Amazon. is Amazon. Mm-hmm. And don't think that just trying to push through the cost and where they source all this stuff from. All these guys are going to get exposed if this thing drags out. Still ahead, as stocks have been struggling, Bitcoin is soaring this year, up 100% and crossing above 8,000 today. What's behind this Bitcoin boom? The traders will weigh in. We're live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a Bitcoin alert for you. Check out the move in the cryptocurrency up nearly 20% today, breaking above 8,000 moments ago, putting its gains for the year at more than 110%. The rally is so big, so big, that we've decided to bring back the Bitcoin bug, which graces the corner of your screen right now. It'll be the end of the rally once we put that up there. Don't agree with the people on Twitter. Those people are trolls. So what is behind this monster move? Karen, what what are your thoughts? I don't know. I mean, I've had a lot. uh, I'm unclear. But one of the theories out there is that China is people in China are looking to find a way, get the money out. And maybe Bitcoin is the way to do it. And, uh, you know, if there's you know, we've talked a lot with BK about it. He thinks there's not that many sellers around looking to aggressively sell. And so if you have some big demand and not a lot of sellers, obviously you get a big move here. I haven't seen a better explanation than that. Mm-hmm. There's also consensus week going on in New York City. So yes. a big Bitcoin conference. The, the Bitcoiners are running around and they're whipping up some, up some froth. And I, I'm not saying it's warranted or not warranted. I'm telling you that there's no question that there's a fresh spotlight. Uh, and I don't think there's a lot of volume going through making this move. Um, but if you're going to bet on one name in crypto, you're going to bet on Bitcoin. And, and that's what's going on also when you start to see uh, global, just call it you know, market dislocation. That's not a surprise. We've seen this before. I, I like what Carter Braxton Worth said about Bitcoin. I'm not sure what it is, but it acts well. <laughs> so we play so, the game from time exactly. to time. Exactly. You, you know where I'm going. I know where you're going. If, if you, you didn't landed know, from another planet. You landed from, like, flew from Mars. Mars or a lot wherever. of people think that I have done that. And you just looked at the chart and you said you didn't put Bitcoin and you didn't just looked put, at exactly. it. Exactly. What is it? What does it look like? Well, that 6,000 level, which was support for quite some time, now it's blown through it. So support, resistance becomes support. You know, I'm, again, I'm not a Bitcoin trader. I wouldn't know the first thing about it, but I will tell you that chart looks extraordinarily good. Well, you should talk more about it then if you don't know anything about I it. I tried to learn, so, Dan. So a consensus is here. There's no Lambos lining up in yeah. front of the uh, thing. You know, listen, I, one of the things I think is really interesting that when, when the bull case was emerging in 16, 17, when the thing was just skipping higher, one of the things was it was uncorrelated to traditional risk assets. So well, we saw that wasn't exactly the case. And when it went straight down like 3,000 points in December, when, you know, I mean, that wasn't the case. The fact that it's acting opposite to the stock market right now. I think it's pretty bullish. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim. Again, you're going to get 30 plus percent revenue growth at Alibaba in an environment where you're paying about that. Looks good to me. Oversold here. Chairwoman. Also on the oversold list. I think Google right here. I like valuation. Dan, Nathan. Yeah, Disney not oversold, a little overbought. But if it starts to fill in that gap, that's where you want to buy that one. Great having JC, but he's in 
California. He's got a coat on. That's oh, a problem. Yes. Cold here, too. There. Chilly here. And it's so nice everywhere. that Dan didn't make fun of me once tonight. I'm happy about well, it. Really? The break. You mean on air? Yeah. On yeah. air. During the, the breaks. breaks. It's, it's During the breaks. Wobble the breaks. Wobble the breaks. So Sarepta had a great quarter, but it's getting caught up in the maelstrom of the market. SRPT. All right. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. More fast. Special Mad Money from San Francisco begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.